Hey guys, and welcome to season four of the Us People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, we get to remember and reminisce back in time with some of our guests, like. Hey, we are Entity, and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rox. Peace. My name is Oni. I'm a producer engineer from Queens, New York. Hi, my name is James Green. I'm a TV presenter, sports reporter, and journalist. Hi, this is Joy Langley, and I'm the author of Navigating Stress. Hey, this is Travis Glossop. I am a creative radio producer for KISS FM and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. We highlight the strengths of our coaches talking about diversity and inclusion and speaking out loud and proud about who we are. I was never that good. I was I was determined. I had a love for the sport and that always fueled me. At 49, I was seven, seven years post-divorce after 22 years and three kids of a marriage. And so I knew that I needed to figure out like what was happening for me and why was this so such a severe sort of uh, crack in my identity and how I showed up in the world. It's great. It's great. Uh, I'm glad because I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't really work that hard at uni. So it was good to leave uni and, and really like get on it, you know, really like, because I also as a person, I think I value I value productivity. A lot of people live to work. I think I am one of the work to live guys, but because my work is amazing, that's all right with me. You know, so as a person, I, I go to bed happy when I've had a productive day. We've also saved the best till last by honouring another artist and showcasing their talent as our new theme song with none other than your host, Savia Rocks, featuring in their song. So guys, enjoy, stay creative and as always, please continue to be kind to one another. Let's go. Hi, my name is Vani Aikel. I'm an author. I wrote A Reason to Carry On. And you're listening to Us People Podcast with Savia Rocks. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Yes People Podcast. I'm your host, Savvy Rocks, and today I am abundantly humbled to have Rani here with me, who has worked in stock exchange and the financial industry. She has also found her calling, which is such a beautiful thing. She's an exercise therapist for the elderly, and she is also the author of her book, A Reason to Carry On. Thank you so much for coming on the Yes People podcast. How are you? Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me. No, you are more than welcome. So my first question for you is, could you tell us a bit about your background of where you grew up and how that influenced you to be the beautiful person who you are today? Well, I was born in New York and how that influenced me, I think, coming to England that I had to change my character very much so because people in New York are a little bit more aggressive uh-huh. and they sort of don't queue and wait on lines and such. And my first career was um, a, a tour guide. Oh. And 
Yes, and I, I would see, and we would take people to Westminster Abbey and every, you know. And then I noticed, like, I was always pushing myself to the front with 50 people behind me. And then I would notice that all the foreign guides, you know, they were doing the same as me. And yet the English were standing back and so polite. And, you know, one has to change. And one realized, my God, this aggressiveness. <laughs> or, you know, you'd never... Um, sort of, you know, you'd wait, you wouldn't give people time to wait or, and it's really, England is really very much a foreign country to America. So very different. And growing up in, in America and then coming to England, you have to really learn to change your character. True. <laughs> that is definitely true. I think I've been to America a few times and I always find it every time I go there really different to London and it's getting used to the balance of both. Whereas I would stand back, whereas somebody else who's from America is very opinionated in their opinion. So it's being able to get used to both. So exactly. Cool. It's a very pushy, aggressive way of being generally, you know, but it's, you know, it has its positive things as well because people are very ambitious. They're go-getters, you know. Where in England, their people are more laid back. <laughs> or they were. Perhaps things are changing now. Slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. But then you're influenced by every country that you go to. You take surely. something from that and you implement that into your life, which is pretty cool. So I yes. that, definitely. So can you define who you are as a person, but also who do you see when you look in the mirror? But on the flip side of that question, has there ever been a time where you have looked in the mirror and not recognize the person staring back at you? How did you manage to go from the transition of not being in the space where you wanted to be and then being happy with who you see when you do look in the mirror? Well, it's very interesting that you say that because I once did a course many, many years ago on psychosynthesis. Yes. And you had to look in the mirror and quite honestly, I couldn't say I love you, Bonnie. I couldn't say it to myself. And it was really strange. And I realized I didn't love myself. And it took, then I was taught that for three weeks, you have to look in the mirror and say, I love you, Vani. I love you, Vani. I love you, Vani. And it really worked. And also, it was a transformation then, not realizing, you know, how one felt about oneself or what the problems, one's problems were growing up, you know. Funny, I was speaking to someone, they said they talk about adulting, learning to be an adult. Mm -hmm. And I never thought of that, but surely that's what the problem with growing up is not easy. <laughs> no, there's no easy way around it. You just... But once you get there, it's, you know, it's delightful when you get there. <laughs> oh, I love that. Can you... Let's talk about a few things. One thing I do like to talk about is clarity. So there's clarity and courage, and I think they both bond very, very well together. And even reading your book, a lot of elements of it come around about how you live your life and how much you do, like you say, love yourself also. But can you talk to me about how you feel about clarity in your life, but also having courage to find clarity in your life? I think, you know, really, what's life about, but with people? Mm -hmm. And we're all really here to serve. True. And when you learn that, 
you know that um, I really had the biggest lesson in my life. My life changed dramatically when I broke my leg. Mm-hmm. And it, I was in terrible pain, and it was just the most terrible time because I was forced to stop running. And I'm also a person with attention deficit, so I was always running. And with my leg, I was, I was stuck for a whole year. I had a very severe break, and, um, you know, I couldn't do anything. And I couldn't, I mean, walk without crutches. You know, you were really debilitated. But it turned out to be the best year of my life, really, because it taught me, I, I, you know, you saw life in a different way. Yes. And it, you saw really, you know, first of all, the only thing that I really always liked was exercising. And when I came to England, I became, developed a passion for ballet. Oh. But I never thought of that as a career. I never would think I would investigate other careers or run down, you know, do different things, finance or whatever, or even, you know, internet or systems analysis, which wasn't me, but one wasn't programmed to think that you could earn a living doing exercise. And so when I was later for a year, I had the time to think. Yes. And across the road from where I lived, funnily enough, I could see from my window was an, an old age home. And there I was, totally debilitated. And if I was lucky, someone would take me out in a wheelchair. And I knew what it was. And then I could relate to the people in this nursing home and think about it. And then I thought to myself, what do I really like in life? Exercise, doing ballet, but too late. So what could I do? I could teach exercises. And then who better to people with special needs? People who would, and so you know, it hit me <laughs> the hard way. I never in my life don't I don't think I would have ever found my calling if I hadn't broken my leg. I would have never thought to you know follow that career. And there I was, and then I I, I all of a sudden my leg healed after one year, and I took a course and I, I combined all my ballet classes. What I did, I went to my ballet teacher. And used it with working with people with severe special needs yeah. and also psychiatric ex-offenders. And that's why I wrote my book, because I thought, you know, I had something really to contribute from being from these people from a wide variety of backgrounds that most people would never have, you know, come across. And I also did a course in behavioral psychology to try to understand people with these different disorders. Can you break that down for me a little more? Because I'm always interested in people's behavior and why they behave in such a way. Okay, and I'll tell you, you know, one has to always respect everyone, every person. doesn't matter who their background is. You can always learn from someone. And the person who really motivated me in life to start thinking more deeply and made me write my book, A Reason to Carry On, was a psychiatric ex-offender. But he was also diagnosed as a violent, I didn't know it at the time, he was a violent psychopath. He had been an arsonist, a rapist, he was illiterate. And he 
who got me, he, and they're also very manipulative. And he used to come to the end of the class and stay, and he got me to give him individual attention. And to make a long story short, I started helping him. And he said, he told me a story. He said to me, you know, he was out one day and he fell in the road in front of a pub and a girl put out her hand to help him up. And then he turned to me and said, what's the point? You get up just to fall down again, up and down, just like a yo-yo. I might as well just keep fixing drugs till the end. And that made me think about him and his life and the purpose of his life and the meaning of his life. And then I thought of all the other people I worked with and what the common thread that they had was they were all disadvantaged in some way or other yeah. in different aspects of life. And so that made me think, what is the purpose of their life? I found my purpose because during the work that I was doing, yeah. by helping these people and doing exercises and really giving the most of myself to motivate people, I found such rewards. And I found the light. One day I felt a light shining. And really, the, you know, it's easy to say, but it's very true. The receiving is in the giving. Yes. And, you know, even the most, you know, I would go into some homes and some old age homes particularly, and they would, you know, smell of, of um, excrement or urine or they wouldn't yeah. smell very nice and they'd hit you in the face. But you go in and you do, you try to help people and all of a sudden everything changes. That's you're true. like a you're like an actor on the stage and you're trying to give people a great time and motivate. And it's the most, I had so much out of every class that I went to that, you know, it, it really put meaning and purpose in my life. And when I stopped doing my work because of the situation, I, I remarried, then I wrote about it. Yeah, I see. And I had something to write from this one person who said to me, what's the point? Well, maybe that was their purpose as well. That's what I wrote in my book, that mm -hmm. who knows what his purpose in life was. Yeah. His purposes in life, no matter what he's been through, he inspired you to do something beautiful. Yes. So now, no matter what happens to him, in a way, he will always have a legacy through your book. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a be I think that's an actually beautiful thing when you think about it in a way. Oh, it's important. I'm so grateful to him. And it makes you realize everyone, everyone that you meet has something to contribute. Oh, they sure do. They sure do. Even when we're at our lowest and we think, no, we don't have anything to contribute, we definitely do have something to contribute. So I was working with people really severely handicapped, yeah. you know, with a mental age of under one year old. Yeah. And you think, well, what is their purpose? But it's the effect they have and the people around them. Yeah. It's an opportunity for their people around them to do so much and get so much back that you're helping a soul that's really so enlightened that they don't need to be here. See, that for me is enough. 
every day there's someone new who I meet who teaches me something beautiful. So I always go with that. I would love to know, what is a day like in your life from the morning you wake up to when you're doing your work, even if it's with the elderly or or you just organizing yourself to do something? What is a day like in your life from the moment you wake up? Uh, well, now it's different from when I was working as an exercise ah. therapist. Mm-hmm. So did you want to know when I was working as an exercise oh, therapist or can now? We, can we do both? Sure. Okay, let's go. <laughs> Well, when I was working as an exercise therapist, I was doing four classes a day, five days a week, and I was exhausted. I did two in the morning and two in the afternoon, and I came home, and I couldn't hardly move because I was prancing around and jumping around and giving the most energy that I could, and I was exhausted, so I went to bed quite early, so I didn't have much of a life, but on the weekends... I did. I went to my exit to my ballet class, yeah. and I did ballet Saturdays and Sundays. Hey. But I didn't have much of a social life or anything because I was so really spent. <laughs> so my life was very, you know, just my work and the exercise and the ballet classes at the weekend, and it was the most fulfilling time. It was just such a wonderful time. But now my life is very different. <laughs> And uh, because of COVID, I I stopped working then because I remarried. And unfortunately, my husband um, was killed in an accident. So life has changed. And now since COVID, I moved to get away from London. I moved to the coast. Yeah. And I've been living on the coast. And I've been writing. I I started writing in London over COVID and then I started writing here and I finished my book. So basically what I do is I I wake up in the morning and I read the newspapers quite thoroughly. Don't you, yeah. Yes. And then I, you know, do write for a few hours and then I always exercise and I go back to do more work, to more writing. And I read a lot. I do a lot of Zooming, a lot of, it used to be over COVID, but now too I, I... I belong to a lot of political think tanks and I enjoy very much learning and listening. I I enjoy politics very much too. Oh, let's talk about politics. What is it about politics that you embrace, that you like? Well, I... Quite honestly, I was apolitical (laughs) originally. (laughs) And then I was at um, a dinner and I was sitting next to someone and he was beginning a think tank. Okay. And... And he encouraged me by, I started coming to all the lectures that he was giving and, you know, encouraging. And and, uh, that's how I got interesting. And politics is so interesting. And the world, what's going on in the world, it's fascinating. I like it. I find it fascinating and what's going on, on, you know. There's so much going on in the world. Sometimes I think it can be slightly overwhelming for people. I'm... And it depends what kind of politics you're into and how your opinion strikes everyone else as well. And also to yourself. I think that's a big one for us to always take with us. Well, I'm always, um, you know, one thing I do feel, people have opinions, but they don't have the facts behind. Which that that. very much, you know, that people, you know, if you don't know 
the true story or the whole story shouldn't really have an opinion. Or you could have an opinion, but you have to qualify your opinion. Because people, very often, they're opinionated without really understanding being the other person's shoes, for instance. I do agree with that, but I also think that sometimes it comes down to a lack of knowledge of something, which, yes, yes, is where you talk about facts and knowing your facts, but it's... It also can be quite hard sometimes to find the correct facts because there's so many people saying that these are the correct things that when we go out to do research, sometimes they come up and they're not exactly what we think they are. And this well, is where... We... news, isn't it? Exactly. There you go. Exactly how it is. That is exactly how it is. So let's talk about your book a bit more because from where it's come from, from where it's been inspired, from the reason why you wrote it, it's all beautiful things. But inside, as you as a writer, I know for a fact that it's not easy to sit down and write a book of any kind. Especially when you have to take your emotion from out of you and out of your mind onto the paper. And we have an emotional attachment to our work before we release it to the world how was it for you to be able to take from what you've learned from what you saw the story you've just told me or one of the reasons why you wrote the book to pull it down and be able to share that with the world Uh, well first of all I wrote the book a long long time ago yeah and I didn't really I wasn't able to get it published then and I was a very different person I was much more into you, you listen we change over the yeah, years naturally. Naturally. We're a very different person and I picked it up during COVID I happened to find that I'd written it you know when I after I'd been working I, I wrote about my experiences etc and I looked at it in a very different way I think before I was a bit more airy-fairy and then you know yeah. I looked at it there's a lot of um, psychology in it now because I'm trying to understand people and what motivates them etc and how much free will do we really have yes you know that 50 percent of who we are are our behaviors are laid down at conception yes so if you, you realize that okay the family you're 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 born into your social standing your education it's all mapped out for you so early on so how much free will do we really have but you hear so many stories of people under different circumstances yes. you, you know for instance i uh, you you go i was i used to go out with a judge a criminal judge and i would come to court and i would say oh i would think to myself oh the, that person should go to prison for 20 years if you lock him up and you know that was my initial attention and the guards that who were looking after them yeah. they came from the similar backgrounds and yet they followed the straight and narrow and the others went the other way so what is it that you know is it nature nurture it is something. But I always tried to teach my the people that I worked with because a lot of them, for instance, the psychiatric ex-offenders, they didn't want to do exercise. 
They really just wanted to talk. First of all, my exercises were you know, in prison. They were doing bodybuilding. It was very important that they were strong. But my exercises were much more disciplined and ballet-based, whereas control, where you learn control and technique of the body. Because for me, ballet is a metaphor for a perfect life. <laughs> it has everything in it. It's not just ballet, but any professional sport or any dancing or whatever, because to be on top of your game and to do it really well, it's, it's body, mind, and spirit. Yes. It's, and it's everything more that goes with that. That's true. Because you have to be so focused. It's psychology, physiology, it's everything. So to me, that's the most perfect sort of person. And what makes them so perfect is that they're so focused and so controlled and so disciplined. And I think to really achieve in life, you have to take time and focus. Even people who have brain damage, yes. you know, you can, there are ways for the, to go around that damage because there's new connections always being developed. It's not easy, but it can happen. Wow. I love the way you put that into perspective for me. That's really, another thing that in your book that you have is, I've written it down, secure and insecure attachment, if that's correct. Yes. And this is something that I really love to, to talk about. Not many people talk about it, but I think in the world today, it's not just in relationships. It's in who we are as people. It's in how we carry ourselves across to our friends, our family. I would love for you to educate even myself on insecure and secure attachments. Well, I think there's three different um, attachments, really. People who have secure attachments. Yes. They come from a loving home and the fact, you know, and it's also how they would then carry on with their partner or the people that they uh, they would meet. It's how you feel about yourself. Yes. And, for instance, people in, who don't come from very happy backgrounds, they come from with an insecure attachment. So they put on their mask and they go out in the world and they have to feel that they want respect. Yes. And if someone bumps into them or doesn't look at them correct properly, they, they get aggressive. What is it? It's because they didn't have that secure attachment. They have to compromise and put something else to protect themselves. Yeah. And so that's someone who comes from an insecure attachment. Well, then you have the half and half as well, that people who have, you know, halfway. And, and also, for instance, as I go back to the psychiatric ex-offenders, because they're the best example, and I write about them in my book, I mean, most of them, they couldn't have successful relationships because they didn't come from, they didn't know what it was to have a really happy relationship. Or the people that they would choose would have be damaged themselves. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yes. And, you know, so it's always, I mean, it's all, I mean, I believe there's always hope and people can always overcome. There's nothing in life which you can't overcome. 
if you really are motivated. I'm not saying you go to the top, but you, you can get better and better. You can by really focusing and working hard and trying hard. As I told you, I didn't get my book published first, and I'm not a natural writer, but I focused and I worked hard and I tried my best and I read a lot and I kept trying to develop. See? And in the end, I got published. So that's, that's determination. I think, I think everyone, if you want something in life, nothing's going to come easily to you. Yes. It's no good to lay back and just think that there's some white knight going to come and save you. I had that problem because I was brought up by a very strong mother who, you know, was was trying to protect me from life. But she didn't let me be able to be strong on my own because I was reliant on someone always to look after me and do everything for me. And mm. when I finally learned the hard way, no yeah. one's going to come. <laughs> You've got to do it yourself. It was the best lesson. But then that brings me to my next question. We talk about empowerment. How do you believe that you say finding out that you have to not fend for yourself, but look after yourself and make yourself understand that you are strong, you are you are able to do things on your own. Talk about empowerment to me and how you feel that you empower yourself and also other people. Well, I think it goes back to the what we said originally about looking in the mirror and loving yourself. Very true. And I tried to teach my students that when they want the ones who want to talk to me to respect yourself. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of you. Yes. It's what you think about yourself if you value yourself. Now, how do you value yourself? By being the best person you can be. You don't have to be any better but the best people person you can be. Yes. And always try to do good. And that's the most important thing. And there are two motivations in life. There's love and there's yes. fear. Fear being a very big word. It's envy, greed, whatever, or love. And if you act, always your motivation is coming from love, a place of love. Then you don't go wrong. We all make mistakes. We're all human. We can, you know, we're not it's perfect. Natural. But if your motivation is out of love, then that's everything. And then you learn from your mistakes. That's true. Do you see mistakes as a mistake or do you see a mistake as a lesson? Oh, you learn and growing all the time. We all learn. <laughs> if we don't make mistakes, we wouldn't learn. We wouldn't grow. No, exactly. No, I agree with you. I like to hear people's opinion on it because some people say a mistake is a mistake, whereas other people say a mistake is a learning curve in order for you to evolve and be your better self. And I, I, that's how I see it. But I always love asking people their views on it. But the thing is to be humble enough to admit that you are wrong. Yes, that is true. That is true. And that is the first stage of change. Is it yeah. into yourself? That is no, that's very true. If you could choose one quote that represented who you are as a person, what quote would you choose, and why would you choose that particular quote? Well, if I, if you don't mind, if I do it through a song, of course you can. And the song, one song that I was my song theme song for wherever I went was the greatest love of all. Ah. And the words of the song, they say it all. 
because the greatest love is inside of each of us. And to love yourself, you know, if you listen to the words, I mean, they, they say it all. And then to listen to Whitney Houston or there was someone else singing as well on top of that. I, and I used to play that all the time for my, my, you know, the people I was working for because it's so important to really to love yourself. There's, first, when you, can, you can't love anybody else unless you love yourself. That's and true. once you love yourself, then you love yourself because you know you're doing your best and you're being a good person and kind to others. And that's where it all stems from. I like that. That kind of answers my next question. So I'm not even going to ask you the next question, to be honest with you. So my next one would be, if nobody was judging you because we're constantly getting judged by who we are, and you've helped so many people who are in the sector of being judged, but if I took out the word judgment in the world and I said to you, what would you do differently if nobody was judging you? What would you say to me? I think I'm long enough in the tooth, so they say. <laughs> not we were. One thing about getting older, which I like very much, is that you're this not what I like. people's judgments. You don't, you know, you don't care. It's <laughs> learned. It doesn't matter what people care think about you. It's what Aww. you think about yourself. That That's is true. That I love that. That's, what advice would you give? What is the best advice you have ever received from someone, from someone, sorry, that you now take with you in your life every day? The, the best advice I had, I think just to slow down. Do you know, somebody said that to me. Um, I was speaking to somebody else and they said they were talking to people who were older than them and they said the problem with the world is that youngsters want to speed up too fast and older people want to slow down. My father used to say, turn your tongue 10 times before you speak. And Ooh. I think it's a question of maybe not 10 times, but, you know, it helps when you, start, when you take things a bit slow. You know, when you work with people with psychiatric problems and particularly psychiatric offenders, one thing they like or, or they must have is instant gratification. And, you know, they want instant coffee. They have to have instant. They can't delay gratification. Mm -hmm. And that's a big problem for people, not the ability of, to delay gratification and thinking they have to have it all now. That's quite true. You know, and the people sort of buy things that they don't really have to have because they want to have it. They think they deserve it or whatever. But this idea of working for things and delaying gratification and, you know, taking things step by step, I think that's very important. Talk to me about the people that you work with more because I'm really intrigued because do you have to have a certain mindset or patient or patience to be able to work with these people? It's how you approach it all, not at all. First okay. of all, I love teaching exercises the way I did and I love the music and so I'm away anyway you know and then when you work with people who are re who are the really elderly you would choose music that they could relate to yeah 
And for instance, something like, oh, how we danced on the night we were wed by Al Jolson or something like that. That's the one. You yeah, move the one. to that and you feel them moving and you just ask them to embrace themselves and move. It's just so wonderful. And you see the difference it makes to these people. So, you know, as I say, I come back again. It's all about people and see, you know, when you finish your life, what do you say? Oh, I went to lots of restaurants or I went to lots of parties. It's really the good that you did. That is true. That is abundantly true. I only have two more for you, but my second to last question for you is, when you feel like you have done enough in the world and you feel like saying, that's it, I am done, what would you like your legacy to be in this world? My legacy to be that I was a good mother, good grandmother, good, good to friends, good to people. And I did some, you know, I gave of myself. Oh, you said that so sincerely. No, but it's it true. Right you, through me. You know, I'm not trying to, trying to put on a mask or anything. It's no. true. Because I have the experience, and I promise you, I never felt more rewarded in my life than when I was, well, I was very lucky, I was doing what I enjoy, and I was, people were, you know, enjoying following me, and I was there performing, and the joy that I gave them, and the change, you know, and even when I was teaching them, they were sitting in chairs and you'd have these people who sit all day hunched in the chair like this. And all of a sudden I get them to sit up straight and use their arms and use their legs and be great. I mean, it's such a joy to see, such a joy. And to leave a room and you see people smiling and happy. What, what is a greater legacy in life than to see you did some good in your life? And I I wrote about it, so hopefully people can learn from, you know, there is a reason to carry on. (laughs) There's there's always a reason to carry on, I think. It's just about you believing in your ability to shine in this world. And we all have... I think you have to believe in your ability. I think you just do your best. That's all. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I completely do agree with you. If you're good or not, so what? You're just doing your best. (laughs) I've had the privilege of being able to read your book, but I would love for everyone else to be able to have that privilege. Please let us know where we can find your book, where we can find about more about you. It's a reason to carry on, and it's on Amazon. It's at Amazon, and also my website is www.areasontocarryon.com. <laughs> nice Thank and easy. No, you're more than welcome. I want to say thank you so much for taking your time to come on the podcast it's been an absolute honor and i'm really really humbled to have you on the show thank you so much thank you so much and uh that was great really wonderful thank you <laughs> love to speak to you and meet you and you too guys i want to thank you so much for listening to the ask people podcast and please remember you can subscribe and leave us a review on spotify itunes google play and any other platform that you prefer listening to please also follow us on facebook instagram and twitter and you can also donate to the ask people podcast by simply going to the savvy rocks website or typing in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast guys thank you so much for listening Stay happy, stay positive, and as always, please continue to be.
be kind to one another. People say that having a peace of mind is trying to find a consistency of calmness within ourselves to crave for a clarity that drives us through our emotional journey of life to never let a person's judgment manifest into a fear inside of us learning to believe in our ability to shine through the darkest moments and tunnels when we cannot see the light patience being our light for forgiveness and strength to believe in our destiny if you want real peace of mind one needs to stop fighting their inner thoughts and embrace them with love because love is the most amazing and beautiful strength that we have to conquer our peace of mind make your thoughts impact a nation by keeping them true and honest especially to yourself but make your peace of mind protect you when you don't have strength to embrace anything else. Find your peace of mind by listening to your heart. Well, it's very interesting that you say that because I once did a course many, many years ago on psychosynthesis and you had to look in the mirror and quite honestly, I couldn't say I love you, Bonnie. I couldn't say it to myself. And it was really strange, and I realized I didn't love myself. And it took, then I was taught that for three weeks you have to look in the mirror and say, I love you, Vani, I love you, Vani, I love you, Vani. And it really worked. And also it was a transformation then, not realizing, you know, how one felt about oneself or what the problems, one's problems were growing up, you know. Thank you.